friends, welcome to The Faithful Podcast, stories of people who walked by faith and gained a fuller understanding of the faithfulness of God. I'm your host, Stephanie Baker. Thanks so much for taking time to listen today. You can find my podcast on iTunes at Faithful Podcast by Stephanie Baker or on my website, faithfulpodcast.podbean.com. If you like the podcast, please leave me a review on my iTunes channel. Reviews help other people find the podcast so that it can be a blessing to them. Here's a recent review from Junebug J 1987. Love it. I love listening to all the amazing testimonies. Glory to God. Amen. And thank you, Junebug J 1987. Also, you definitely want to check out my husband Phil Baker's podcast, Reclaiming the Faith. He explores what the earliest Christians believed and how they would deal with the core issues that we face today. Check it out. I love it, and I think you will too. Also, check him out on iTunes. He's recently released a new EP called Love and War, and the songs are so good. You guys, I know it's been forever since we've done an episode. Sorry about that. I took a break over the summer for some travel and time with my family and friends, but I'm back and ready to chat. My guest for this episode is the amazing Kelly Needham. Kelly is a mama to three young kiddos, and she's recently written a book that will be released next week. It's called Friendish, Reclaiming Real Friendship in a Culture of Confusion. She's married to Christian singer, songwriter, speaker, Jimmy Needham, who's one of my good friends from my college days. And you're just going to love Kelly. She talks about the struggles of taking on a giant project, writing a book, about a topic that's not often examined, and what is and is not friendship that would honor God. I'm reading it right now, and it's rocking my world, but it's also super encouraging. Without further delay, let's get to the interview with Kelly Needham. Kelly, welcome to the podcast. We're so glad you're able to be on here today. Thanks, Stephanie. I'm excited to talk with you. This is really fun for me. Yeah. Um, Kelly, I just want you to know before we even get going that I am loving your book, Friendish, and Aww. I think everybody should pre order it because I know how important pre ordering is to the process and it helping. Is, yeah. yeah. Can you kind of explain that real fast why people should pre order your book? Yeah. Um, part of what that's doing is it's, it's helping show. Um, people that like Barnes and Noble or Amazon or other places like that, the interest that's in the book and what it helps with as an author is um, if no one pre-orders, what usually happens is there's a, the book will sell out early on because Amazon or whoever didn't stock enough. Mm-hmm. And so then you have people wanting the book and it's just not available because there was no gauge of like what, how much interest there is. It's kind of the same reason churches are like, please register for this event. <laughs> we kind of need to know how many people are coming, right. you know? Um, so it's a service in that way. And, um, and just helps prevent, you know, those moments from, from happening for an author who worked hard to get something out there and, and then, you know, to have that little hurdle is not always fun. <laughs> and we're going to hear more about your book, Friendish, as we go through um, and talk. But I just wanted to get that out of the way so we don't forget why it's important. And I'm sure I'll talk mm. about it at the end. But um, <laughs> for everybody that's listening, can you tell us a little bit about yourself? Yeah. Um, I I love Jesus. I mean, I don't know it's like, <laughs> duh, maybe. But um, that feels like the most centering part of 
of who I am. He saved me and he's the most interesting person in, in my life. And, mm-hmm. um, I just, I can't, you know, it's my greatest fear is to lose that. I would lose interest in him and walk away from him. And my greatest joy is to be near him. And so, um, man, I just, I love that. And grateful that I found a husband who I love Stephanie, that you guys knew each other before. Um, I knew you, that's yeah. part of how we know each other is through Jimmy, who yeah. I'm married to. Um, but it was such a gift to meet him and become friends with him is we really had, we shared that joy and, um, kind of interest in Jesus. Jimmy oh. didn't grow tired of me talking about what I was reading the Bible. And he was one of the first guys that didn't. And our friendship really grew out of that. And then later a dating relationship. And now we just celebrated 13 years of being married. Wow. That's so crazy. Awesome. <laughs> So we have um, three kids now, um, two are biological, one is adopted. We're in the middle of an, another adoption process right now. What? Oh my gosh, uh, yeah. okay, news for me. <laughs> yes, from, from India, we're kind of, you know, we're slow to post about those things till we're later on in the process. But yeah, we're um, adopting again and um, excited about that. So um, yeah, those are a few basics of my life, but most of my days are spent how most everybody else's is just trying to keep up with the laundry and make lunches for little people and, uh, keep my cool answering a thousand questions every day. And, uh, <laughs> mm. how, how old are your yeah. kids? Eight, six, and four oh right my now. Goodness. Yeah. They're so, so cute. They are really, really precious. I mean, I'm, I've only seen them through, uh, online, <laughs> but they're they really, really cute kids. They're fun. Yeah. It's a joy. (laughs) Well, can you tell us um, how you came to know Jesus? Well, um, I grew up going to church, but that doesn't mean much, you know, for uh, there's so many of us, that's part of our story. But um, I I began to feel really convicted about my need for Jesus when I was young, but didn't really have words to put to that besides that I was at a Baptist church and every altar call I I knew I need whatever is being ha- was happening down there. I need to go down there. This was like as a third or fourth grader. Mm-hmm. And I never went, you know, walked down the aisle or did any of that at that time. But then um, I think it was early junior high that I started reading my Bible on my own outside of like Sunday school. I don't even know mm-hmm. why, honestly, <laughs> but I remember having a moment where it just felt like God was speaking to me. I read something that just felt like, I needed to hear that right now. That was for me. The words, you know, in the Bible just jumped out at me and I, I was hooked. <laughs> and so I couldn't put my Bible down. I mean, I was, I, I was like a sixth grader. And so God began to really transform my life through his word, reading it on my own um, at a young age. And I, there's definitely been some hard seasons of, of wrestling through unexpected suffering with doubts and things like that. But by and large, from those early years, um, I've just wanted more of him. And I just feel like that's just a gift that he gave me, you know, because wow. um, my story could have been that I grew up going to church and was a good church kid and, and was empty inside, you know, uh-huh. and by his kindness, that was not true for me. And I just feel like that's all due to his pursuit of my own heart. And so, yeah, so I don't really have an explanation for it besides I just had a Bible I picked up one day and that's awesome. Jesus just started transforming me through it. So like that's such a rare testimony though like that god is speaking to you in 6th grade and that you listen like that's right <laughs> that's pretty awesome that's um 
you know, praise God for that because I'm sure that spared a whole lot of heartache that could have come that time. It totally did. And it gives me hope too, to not grow, um, calloused or like, um, become a cynic about praying that for my own kids or other kids. Mm. And that, that doesn't necessarily have to be their, their journey. God may grab their heart when they're young and they might not ever turn back. And, um, it encourages me to want to pray that for other people because it's not always the story you hear, you know? Mm -hmm. So we were talking about your book. So I want you to tell us about your book and how you felt God calling you to write this and maybe in there also talk about how your family felt about you writing it. That's (laughs) like a multifaceted question. (laughs) Oh, I love it. It's all very intertwined anyway. So yeah, I I definitely didn't set out to become a writer. That's for sure. I have a degree in finance. I like numbers and answers that are like right and wrong. Not, um, this is, there's four different ways you could write about this, you know, that are good. That drives me crazy. And, um, I definitely didn't set out to write about this topic, but I found through really starting in my college years and then in young adulthood, a lot of my close friends had really unexpected, really severely challenging friendship issues in their lives. And I was a part of that because I was their friend. So I was hearing about it or, you know, these things were happening to them and they were processing with me. And it wasn't like mean girls problems, right? Like people are backstabbing each other. We're talking about friends who are trying to be good friends to each other. They're going to church together. They're doing like good things, Mm -hmm. but it's becoming full of jealousy and envy and bitterness and all sorts of unhealthy things and emotions that were really strong and uh, sometimes struggles with sexuality as a part of that. And so I started looking around going, I don't know what's happening with my friends and I don't know how to help them. And where's a book for this? And I couldn't find one. Um, I found mentors that were helpful for me in processing that. And uh, that's really the genesis of this book idea. I I feel like I really just wrote the book that I needed back then. And um, that God just put a lot of people in my life wrestling with those things. So it forced me to a place of searching the scriptures for what, what does the truth of the Bible have to say about our friendships and how does it um, come to bear on them and how can we understand them in light of the gospel and and who Jesus is for us. And so I started blogging about it in 2014 out of just knowing if I needed this, someone else probably does. Mm -hmm. And the response to that series was so huge that that was the first moment Jimmy and I looked at each other and kind of said, maybe, maybe I should do something more with this. Um, And, there was kind of always that lingering thought since then, but now we're what, like four, almost five years past that. It's, it's taken that long of, you know, just ebbing and flowing of feeling like it was the right time to write about it. Um, God put the connections in place over the past couple of years through literary agents and publishers that I just didn't expect to fall in place. And some things within our family changed in unexpected ways. We had just adopted a little boy uh, at two years old from India. So obviously that's not the right time to write a book. Like (laughs) I could have told you traveling to India. I was like, oh yeah, this is a shelved idea for later. And when we came home, our son adjusted in in such an amazing, easy way that was kind of weird. And like, I don't know what, you know, who can I talk to about? Is this normal? Am I missing something? Um, that, just felt very seamless that that's one of the only reasons we even considered is this maybe the time. And then my children started public school from homeschooling, which was a decision not having to do with the book, but that freed up some time. And my son would just sit next to me and play with his cars 
quietly for hours. I was like, <laughs> that's what rare. do I do? I thought you were going to be screaming at me and I was going to be like, that's kind of what I amped myself up for with adoption. I was like, all right, you're going to hate me and it's okay. I'm here to love you. And I don't care if I have to hold you all day while you're screaming, I'm ready for it. And that was not what it was like. So, um, I found myself with time on my hands, which was like, what how, how is that possible? And then, um, my husband is a, a musician, which, you know, Stephanie, but maybe not everybody does. And he actually told me, that he felt so strongly about me writing this book that he said, you know, I think I'm going to take a year, maybe two years off of recording and writing so that you can do this. And I can come in and like help with the kids so that you can do this. And when he told me that over a date night, that was the moment I was like, okay, God, you really want me to do this right now? I mean, I don't think I thought that this was the time, Mm. but with all those things happening, it was like, well, my husband, I, I trust the Lord has put him in my life and, you know, he's a voice of, of direction for me at times. So, okay. So yeah, between, uh, the kids being at school and my son just chilling out next to me with his cars and Jimmy covering some Saturdays, uh, last year got the book written, which is crazy with the, the kids, my, you know, the ages my kids are. Yeah. Um, and it actually felt like a really sweet family project in a way, um, and I actually have a note from my oldest daughter in a season that was really hard in the writing process that she put a little post-it note on my bedroom door that I would see when I walked out in the morning. And I think it says um, something like, Mom, I'm so excited about your book. It's really going to help a lot of people or something like that. And she had drawn a little picture of this book with the word friendish on it. And it just melted. I just started crying. I felt like, you know, that she would be excited about it and feel like she was a part of it was I think really special. So it's actually been a really fun family project in some ways. That's really, that's really incredible. That's that I did not, I had no clue that God had lined all those things up in that way. And that's, we'll praise yes. him for that. Cause that's, that's pretty rare. <laughs> it's very rare. I totally agree. And I don't think without all those things lining up, it would have been wise for me to write it right now, honestly, because I, you can write it with, I could write a book whenever, but I can only be a mom to my kids when they're these ages right now. Mm-hmm. And so that's something I'm never okay with losing. Um, so the fact that God made a way for there to be space for this in a way that was healthy, mm-hmm. definitely felt like of him and to say, now's the time I want you to do this. Um, so I trust that, that in this season of our culture and what maybe other Christians are facing, that it's needed now versus 10 years from now, which is maybe what I was thinking. So, yeah. <laughs> um, so you to- talked about some ways that God lined things up, but what was an obstacle that you faced in the process? Mm. I think the probably the hardest obstacle and probably the most unexpected part of the process is how difficult actually putting this content together was for me because this is not, it wasn't new content for me. I I had walked this out with many friends. Mm -hmm. I had thought through these things with people. I had written about it before on my own blog website. So to get to the point where I'm writing the book and trying to put it together and then feel like, oh, I don't know what order this should go in and how to be most helpful was, was surprising. Um, I actually spent probably six months just not even writing, but just trying to like storyboard the ideas and figure out how to do it. And I think the reason that was so hard is um, while I had some critiques to present in friendship, I friendship is incredibly important in our lives. 
And so I found myself going, how do I dethrone something and also uplift something at the same time? And that required so much nuance um, that it, it really was incredibly difficult to figure out how to do right. And I, I found myself in a lot of my writing times, like literally on my knees, <laughs> Lord, I don't know what to do right now. I spent half of my writing time some days just praying and, and sometimes complaining to God, like, why would you give me an impossible task? This is not fun. <laughs> and I just, Lord, I just don't know how to, how to be most helpful to people in this. And maybe my expectations were higher because I, I had at one time in my life really needed this resource to exist. And so I had a lot of expectations of what it should be, right. how it should help people. Um, so that was, was really hard. And in some ways I think it, it was probably a gift too. And that now that I've seen some like early versions of this book printed, I genuinely feel like that book exists because God helped me. I don't feel like a smart person who figured out how to put things together. It just feels like the Lord did it um, out of my weakness and total confusion some days about how to do it. So um, for somebody who'd written a lot, that was a really surprising obstacle to face. Kind of like, what do, I don't know what how to write about this. <laughs> I think it's just really cool that at the end of this process, and obviously like finishing the book isn't really the end of the process, but right. <laughs> but you're able to like hold this thing in your hand and it's this, you know, reminder, like a memorial of what God has brought you through and what God's doing. And I mean, not uh, all of us go through difficult stuff and we all go through mm-hmm. challenges, but we, we don't all get to hold something at the end that's like this, this is a reminder of your faithfulness. So I think it's really, it's pretty special that you're able to do that. And I, I, I mean, I have some things like that that kind of remind me of them, but nothing that's like, okay, this is a culmination of what you've done, God. So that's cool. Um, totally. Yeah. What was, which part of the book did you find the most challenging to write? I think the the hardest part to write collectively was probably the beginning of the book deals with the counterfeit versions of friendship. Mm-hmm. A counterfeit looks like the real thing, but is not the real thing. Mm-hmm. And so trying to write about um, versions of friendship that I knew people are, are living these things thinking they're the right thing and the potential for them to feel really discouraged reading these chapters and weighed down and even angry at me for maybe dethroning the only version of friendship they've ever known is really high. And so it was really hard to figure out how do I write about these things that I know are super important to spell out plainly and be really clear about how do I write about them in a way that isn't going to scare people away from friendship is actually going to somehow create a hunger for real friendship. That was, that was really hard to do. Mm -hmm. Um, it was content I knew I needed to be in there, but to do it well was a, a big challenge. That first half of the book was what got the most reordering and changing and, you know, moving around than anything else because, um, it was so important to me to be helpful in a way that, that didn't wear people down, but actually made them go, well, if this isn't real, what is, and how, how do I long for that and give a, a positive flavor to friendship along the way? Mm-hmm. Um, that, that was probably the hardest part and took a lot of help from friends who, um, sat with me and helped me think through it. It was not an isolated project thinking through this, you know, it was definitely me at times with other people processing these things and, and getting their advice and their help in it. 
which feels so appropriate, a book on friendship mm-hmm. that my friends helped me write. <laughs> right. Um, you talk about the first half of the book, and I'm I'm reading this copy now, and um, I've probably gotten pa- I've gotten more than halfway, but I'm having to kind of pause a lot and um, mm-hmm. process. And um, you know, one of the chapters that you're talking about it, that I really I have it like underlined many many <laughs> places, but marks of a counterfeit replacing Jesus is the title of the chapter. Um, mm-hmm. I just want to read. Um, I'm, I'm trying to figure out which one I think is I'm going to start with, but um, <laughs> it says, when our idol has not yet failed us, when the water has not yet drained out of the broken cistern, when the storm has not yet come to destroy our house built on sand, we perceive our friendship to be the best thing ever. But just because mm-hmm. our friendship that replaces Jesus feels right does not make it right. And then skip down just a little bit. Um, Eventually, our worship of friendship will cause problems and we'll be looking for answers. But who wants to hear that idolatry is the problem? Who wants to hear that it's our own sinful hearts at fault? We'd rather believe the floor is wet because a glass was spilled than believe that the roof is leaking. If something's been spilled, the remedy is is only a towel, while a busted roof requires gutting parts of our house and rebuilding from the inside and out. And who wants to deal with that? Yes, the truth hurts sometimes, but it will always set us free every time. And the truth is letting our friends play role. And the truth is letting our friends play roles that only Jesus should is sin. Um, I am. I've been blessed over the years with a lot of really, really wonderful friendships, and this is making me look back at some of those and think, like, did we just have fun together? And mm. maybe I wasn't the kind of. Um, the kind of friend that I needed to be to them and, or, or vice versa. Like what were we, you know, the chapter that talks a lot about like, you know, selfishness and friendships. Mm -hmm. I I saw a lot of that in myself and it wasn't, it was like, I want to have fun. They want to have fun. We enjoy each other's company a lot and, you know, or even we enjoy serving together. It's, it's really Mm -hmm. important that we examine the motive behind things. And I mean, that's what Jesus did throughout his ministry. It wasn't like, okay, you on the outside, you look okay. That's probably enough. He take, he always took it a step further. Mm -hmm. And so in a lot of ways, your Mm -hmm. words are, are doing what Jesus's words did and that's getting at the heart. And it's -hmm. a challenging task, but I feel like, you know, you use this, you you talk about nuance and I think you did that really well in everything that Mm -hmm. I've read so far in you know, um, you know, the difference between like a surgeon and a soldier, like the, they both use objects to cut, but it's a very different Mm -hmm. kind of cut. And Mm -hmm. so I feel like you, you were very delicate when you needed to be, but I feel like it was also challenging when you needed to be. And, um, so I I just wanted to share that part that really, yeah, that was really awesome. Uh, so what surprised you most or was the biggest unexpected blessing about discovering what healthy friendship should look like? Um, man, I, I think the unexpected blessing of healthy friendships is a similar flavor to what you just shared. Uh, they're willing to be a surgeon in your life and wound you. Um, in the sense that, um, when there's something awry in your life and you can't see it yet to have a good friend who's willing to sit down and tell you something you don't want to hear, that's going to be painful to hear. Um, but it's going to protect you, help you make you better, strengthen you. Right. That's a, a really sacrificial thing for someone to do to say, I'm willing 
to uh, risk that you don't like me, that you despise me or hate me right now, or you disagree with me for the sake of your good. And I've had a lot of friends do that for me uh, over the years. And that has not been fun. It's never fun to sit across the table from somebody who's like, hey, can I talk to you about something? And you can just feel it coming. You're like, oh no, I have no idea what they're going to say, but it's probably not, you know, you're amazing. Not comfortable stuff. Yeah. Not comfortable. And I've had a, I've had a lot of conflict in friendships in those ways. And man, I, I do look back at myself and think, I am so glad I'm not the version of me that I was 10 years ago. Mm. And I feel so thankful for friends who are willing to to say those things to me, um, essentially to point out spinach in my teeth, so to speak, right? That's who your real friends are. The right. ones that are like not going to smile and nod at you when you like look not okay. They're going to be like, hey, <laughs> I know you feel embarrassed to me telling you this, but like you need to know. Um, that's been a really unexpected blessing and something I'm realizing is what healthy friendships do for one another. Mm. They don't just appease each other and, you know, cheer each other on in their flesh and like things that aren't good for them, but are willing to say the hard things and are willing to receive those things themselves. Cause that's, it's never one-sided. We're all sinners. We all have issues and problems and blind spots we can't see. And if we don't have that in each other in friendship, then you know, it's like soldiers on a battlefield who aren't watching each other's backs. Mm-hmm. You know, it's it's dangerous because the enemy is not each other. You know, our battle's not with flesh and blood, but with spiritual things and a spiritual enemy of our souls and an accuser. And yeah, so that that's definitely been that conflict. I'm by nature very conflict averse, right? Um, which is partly why writing books like this is hard because I know that it it has the potential for people to read it and hate it and. Mm-hmm. I, I have to feel okay with that, knowing um, I've seen the people who've fallen down the rabbit hole in unhealthy friendships and seen the wreckage it has caused in their lives. And that has really been a, a huge motivation in this book to go, even if half the people who read it throw it across the room and hate it mm-hmm. and say, I don't agree, man, if that other half, if it saves them from walking down some of the paths some of my dear friends did, then it's worth it. Um, I'm willing for them to hate me if if it will be helpful to some, because my friends have done that for me. And, uh, your proverb said, Faith, faithful are the wounds of a friend. They can right. be trusted, but the kisses of an enemy, we should be, we should question. Mm. Yeah. Um, you spoke about being conflict avoidant. That is me to a T. And like, <laughs> I hate that about myself so much that I get like so tense when it comes to talking to people about difficult stuff and I just avoid it, avoid it, avoid it. And like, then I have to like, think about what would I want them to do for me? And Mm -hmm. conflict isn't always a bad thing and conflict. I mean, your deepest relationships, you go through those things together. There's not, that brings a level of depth and a level of intimacy Mm -hmm. to the friendship that, you know, because it is a challenge and because it's putting yourself out there. So you know, there's some really, um, some really great mm-hmm. things that I'm kind of taking to heart as somebody who just in every area of my life, like try to be a peacemaker, <laughs> which sounds good, but it's, um, it, right. you know, you, you, there is, there, you have to think about how did Jesus bring peace? 
And it wasn't always just like, hey, everybody, let's just lower our voices. Let's just chill out and enjoy (laughs) our time together. And that, to me, sounds great. Like, everybody speak calmly. Everybody get along. And it's fantastic. But Wouldn't that be nice? Yeah. I am still part of of me is convinced. Isn't that out there somewhere for me? (laughs) Yeah, right. Somewhere. No, doesn't happen. Yeah. Um, so what helps you to remain faithful in the hard times? I mean, you've gone through writing this book, which was a challenge in Mm -hmm. itself, but you've also been through lots of other things. So, um, lots of hard stuff like we all have, um, what helps you to be consistently faithful? Gosh, I think when I think of some of the most trying and difficult times in my life, which there was a season in there trying to write this book that felt really overwhelmingly hard. Mm. Um, I, I do think that the grace that helps me be faithful is other people, mm-hmm. <laughs> um, friends and family and, and just the, the body of Christ. Um, sometimes it's too hard to bear alone and not just physically. Sometimes physically we face that. Um, when, uh, before our oldest daughter was born, we had three miscarriages and in one of those seasons I was put on bed rest by my doctor. So physically it's like, and Jimmy was touring, so he was gone and, I literally needed people to come over and help, you know, prepare food for me or get things for me. Mm. But sometimes emotionally and spiritually, it's just too much to bear. Um, Tension we're walking through or stress or grief or conflict. Some of the conflict I've had in some of my friendships has been really hard and and long and intense. And um, I've needed other eyes to come in and help me see. But I think the hardest thing about that is it requires enough humility to ask for help. And that's really hard to do. Mm. Um, it's, it's really hard to be the one in need. I would much rather help somebody else in their weakness than be the weak one and ask for help. I mean, it's just, it's part of our culture, right. That celebrates independence. And that's like success is to need nothing from no one, you know, to be totally on your own is like a marker of like, you've made it. (laughs) And in, a, in the Bible, that's we don't see that at all. We see a, a dependency on God and a dependency on one another. So, um, you know, like even in writing this book, there was a day that I just was like super discouraged, convinced that there's no way I'm going to make this deadline. I don't know what I'm doing. This book isn't good. I can't write it. I don't know what's going on. And really weary from it emotionally mm-hmm. and just wondering just in my own doubts, God, are you actually going to help me? Cause I'm asking you to, and it doesn't seem like you are. And it was actually Jimmy who was like, Hey, I think you need to skip home group tonight. We had a college home group we were leading at the time. Mm-hmm. Like, I think you need to leave. And I think you need to go have some of your friends pray over you. And while part of that sounded good, the other part of it was like, no, I don't want to be that needy right. and weak. And so he's like, by the way, I've actually already texted them. So uh, I know you wouldn't want to do that because you want to be like the helper at home group and help do all these things, which is maybe just my way to escape my own weakness, you know, yeah. sometimes. And so he had called these friends and I, I walked into uh, my friend's house. It's like an intervention. It did. It yeah. was totally that. He was like, he knew I needed that and I wouldn't ask for it, you know. Right. And he's done that for me before. There's been other types of hardship that he'll see friends. We ran into somebody at the grocery store once, and he literally walked over to her and he's like, hey, Kelly's not okay right now, and she probably needs to talk to you. So I'm going to go get our groceries, and if you have, like, 10 minutes before you leave, like, you know, it would be really nice. And I was like, uh, <laughs> hi, I'm Kelly. I have problems. Um, <laughs> but thankfully, I feel like I'm I'm learning now to go. That's 
to humble myself in that way and ask for help, mm-hmm. I know I don't want to do that right now. Right. But I know if I do, the grace on the other side of that is going to be the wind beneath my sails to help me in this hard time. And so I can either struggle and flounder on my own, or I can humble myself and ask for help and find that I'm able to be faithful in this difficulty, not on my own strength, but leaning on the shoulders of Jesus through the means of the body of Christ. And like with that time, you know, with that book, I I cried and went through a whole roll of toilet paper at my friend Lindsay's house while we sang worship songs and they prayed for me and just listened to me, you know, moan about my hardship. Yeah. <laughs> and um, that seriously was like a game changer for me in just encouraging me in my own heart to go. No, I, I know that I don't have the words yet for this book, but God has been faithful thus far and he will continue to be. And believing God was easier after that, after being around friends who were praying that for me and encouraging that in me. And I, I see that being consistent, whether it was miscarriages or spiritually depressing hard times where God feels distant or friendship conflict or name the hardship. Right. Humbling myself to ask for help from people became the strength, God's means of strengthening me to stay faithful to him. And uh, slowly, I think I'm getting a little better at not needing Jimmy to have to out me (laughs) (laughs) for me. But it's nice to have somebody who's willing to do that in your life, too. That's definitely a bonus. (laughs) Yeah. And it's I mean, it's good that you have this partner that is like, I want to see you do well and i'm going to i'm going to help that to happen <laughs> like i i know what you need before you mm-hmm. will admit it and i want to help that help you have that so mm-hmm. that's pretty that's pretty great um yeah so is there any kind of like self discovery that you, that's been helpful to you in your life like um maybe reading a book that pointed some things out to you or or you know different kinds of things that have been illuminating to to helping you in your life? Yeah, I think probably the biggest one has been similar to, you know, some of the things you're sharing about being a conflict avoider. Mm -hmm. Um, I really think that I've thought for most of my life that that is my way to love people. Mm. It's kind of what I've told myself. And even in writing, I'm going to not, say what's really going on in my heart because that would probably be not helpful. We'd probably be conflict. And so I'm going to keep that to myself because I love you. And that's how I'm going to sacrifice to love you is be Mm. fake. Um, And I wouldn't call it being fake, but it was interesting even in some of the stories that are in the book, you know, I, any friend I shared their story, I did change their name, but I, um, I asked their permission to share in the, and made sure that it felt accurate to them. And there was one friend in the book that, um, when I, I wrote the story and I sent it to her, she's like, I don't actually feel like it went down that way. And I was like, Oh, okay. Um, and it, we had some conflict and, you know, even in, in hearing her side of it, like several years later, it's like, you know what? You're totally right. In my conflict avoiding, you felt really cut out from my life and left out because I stopped talking to you about certain things because I thought it would inflame the situation. And what she really wanted was like, love me by working through it, pursue mm. unity with me, by speaking up about where you feel like I'm not being a good listener, all those things. And I wasn't willing to do that. And so I think that one of the discoveries I've made about myself is that I avoid conflicts often out of my own preference for comfort, my own, like, I don't like that tension. 
Right. I just don't enjoy it. It feels really stressful. Even with all the conflict I've had that the Lord has put in my life, I don't feel like it's made it easier in the moment. It's still, I'm wringing my hands with nerves under the table in those moments every time. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm quicker to do it because I know it's right now, but it's not easier. And so learning to see my avoidance of conflict rightly and go, okay, this sometimes is just self-love and self-protection. It's not necessarily love like I have thought in the past. And that's become a really helpful discovery in just writing the book. I mean, this book honestly probably wouldn't exist without all those moments of conflict. There's a whole chapter later on about conflict because I think it's become such an important part of friendship for me Mm. um, and what I've learned (laughs) through that. But it's been helpful. And I think it helps me to now step into conflict and tell myself, this is part of how I'm pursuing unity with this person. I don't want to see them anymore because of the things that have happened. And I could just let our friendship die away and that feels easier, but to pursue true unity with them would be to come in kindness and say, this is how I really feel about us, about what happened or what you said or did or, you know, fill in the blank. And I can know that even though I'm terrified of that moment, it's actually a, a way that I can sacrificially love my friend and saying, I want, I want this friendship. I value it. And I'm willing for you to not like me for a season to get there. I'm willing to sacrifice my own comfort for this friendship or for you. And when I know in my head, this is sacrificial love. And I know Jesus has called me to that, to love others as he loved me in a sacrificial way. It's, it's really changed the game for me on my willingness to, to walk and step into conflict and to see um, it for what it is. That's probably been the biggest thing I've learned about myself in the last decade. And the, the thing that's probably helped my friendships the most, I think, is, is seeing that clearly. Um, and something I hope this book people will see too and feel equipped you know, to walk into because I don't think you and I are alone in that. I bet you people listening are like, oh, me too. Yeah. Most of us are <laughs> conflict diverse, I think. <laughs> yeah, I, I think that's, um, and I, I think that you have a difficult challenge in writing a book also, um, just kind of going back to this, I'm think, I was thinking about the difference between like race, relationally, like you can have this discussion with your friends about- um, right like this thing you're going through is really unhealthy and I can explain it to you and I can watch your facial expressions and I can see, okay, actually, I think I hurt you with that. And we can dialogue mm-hmm. where when you put this book out and you've, um, you've got your words there and they're in ink and there is nothing mm-hmm. you can do to change that. And you can't be there to explain like, okay, so this is the idea behind this. And, you know, so I, I think that, um, yeah, with writing this, And doing all of that, I just was thinking about how challenging that must be, too. And to write down things that you've been through. I feel like you were really vulnerable Mm -hmm. um, in a lot of your stories. And um, I think it's really awesome that your friends are okay with you sharing their stories, too. Because, (laughs) um, you know, sometimes even though the the names are changed, people around you might be like, oh, I think I know who this is about. (laughs) Totally. Yeah. So there's there's, there's still some of that there. But um, I think it's... Going back to the self-discovery and you know conflict avoiding, I um, I think that it's something that we need, like you said, to mm-hmm. embrace and to to know that it's the more loving thing to do, and mm-hmm. you care enough to do that. So yeah, I think it's good that your friend told you 
okay, actually, when you avoided conflict, it really upset me. <laughs> right. And, and yeah. I know it would felt more comfortable for you in that moment, but this is what we, we really should have addressed. So mm-hmm. um, kudos to your friend for being honest, because I'm sure that was tough. It uh, was, yeah, not easy. I have good friends. <laughs> oh, good. That, that's good. That, that should wound me, friends, you know. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, so uh, do you have any advice that you would give to, like, just the average Christian that, you know, just about promoting healthy friendships and how to, you know, how we can help foster that in our lives? Other than, you know, obviously reading your book, going, you know, pre-ordering it, <laughs> reading it. We want everybody to do that, but just for right now, any basic advice that you have? I think, especially for the person listening who's a Christian, who's probably everybody here, um, to remember that our access, our access to Jesus, Mm. to the, to the fountain of living waters, that changes things. And it changes what we expect out of all of our relationships. And, that's been the best thing for my friendships, for me to see that my needs are met in Jesus. That's what liberates me to be a generous friend to others and to be a friend who's giving away friendship to others and not demanding it. Mm. And I think we have a lot of bad habits in our friendships that are very worldly, and we just don't think much about it. I think with marriage, maybe we've done some of the work as Christians to think through hey, as a Christian, this is how your marriage should be different than what you see in the world. But I don't think we've done that with friendships. And so we just don't think about it much. But when we're not taking our needs to Christ, we're taking them somewhere else. And it might be to a spouse and it might be to our kids, you know, finding our significance and how we parent or a job. And it it might be our friends. And I think that really harms our friendships. And so at a base level, I think learning to cultivate intimacy with God that feels real to you, that isn't just a chore that you check off in the morning. Okay, I read my Bible, you know, and I said a prayer. Um, If God doesn't feel like a real person in your life who is, who you have a relationship with that's active, and it's not going to be the same as a friend, of course, but God is real and alive, and His Word is alive, and He speaks to us through it. And if we're willing to be still enough to listen, His presence in our life will become um, something real. And and when we make space for that and let that happen, what I've seen for me is that I am able to love my friends better. Mm. And sometimes I can't fully explain why and how it just happens really naturally. So I think for anyone listening, who's just going, where do I start? I would say it's not the answer you want. Most of us want like a checklist for what to do in our friendships. But right. I think the answer really is set set some time to meet with God, treat him and honor him like a real person. Don't cancel your time with him. You wouldn't do that to your friend. You wouldn't just not show, um, and and give him your time and ask him to meet with you and wait on him and believe that he'll respond to you with your questions and with your doubts and your fears. And, you know, he's given us a lot of pages of of who he is and his character and what he's like and read it. And over time, it might not happen the first day or the second day, but but what you're doing is like filling up a bucket that slowly is going to start to overflow and pour out into those other relationships. And you might not notice it on day one or day five or even day 10, but if you're doing that consistently, I think that, ch- that you will see changes in your friendship within a matter of weeks in 
what you're, how you're dealing with your own neediness or insecurities or other things, you're going to start to see a change in that and your friendships will become healthier. You can't control what your other, right. the, the friend on the other side is doing, but you can control yourself and what you're expecting out of friendship and demanding of it, whether spoken or unspoken. Um, that's where we start. And that's where I wanted, what I wanted to be the central piece of the book, which I love that the the chapters in the very middle of the book are about that, Mm -hmm. because to me, that is the heartbeat for the Christian of healthy friendships. And it becomes even the the heartbeat of our friendships with non-Christians, because I think that a lot of these principles we apply there as well, go, we should love everyone God puts around us and cultivate friendship with them. And if they look at us and go, you know, they, they demand more of us than we actually can give, we can't be their stability or security, that we then can say, the reason you want that is you're seeing good things in my life because I- I'm spending time with Jesus and mm. I'd love for you to come with me. And and they you can't force them to, but those friendships can become an avenue for you um, as a person who is satisfied to speak to thirsty people who haven't yet had the fountain of living waters and go, hey, the reason I'm, I'm satisfied is because I've tasted living water. And I'm going to keep telling you about it as much as you come to me with your thirst. I'm just going to say, it's over there. Come with me, you know? Right. And um, so I think this is the, the same principles at play in how we befriend anyone God puts around us, whether they share a belief or not. Right. Um, it starts with having our needs met in Christ mm. and enjoying what was purchased for us at the cross, which was unhindered fellowship with God, not just in the future, but right now. All right. Well, I think that you hit on a lot of this, but... Um, yeah, it's this idea of asking God to search our hearts, too, and um, mm-hmm. see if there's ways that maybe we have, you know, made friendship into this idol. Um, because I, prior to picking up this book, probably wouldn't have never really <laughs> thought. I mean, there were times where I'm like, okay, I really need to go to God with this and not just mm-hmm. talk to my friend about it. But I hadn't considered relationships as idolatrous. So, um I think it's, you know, take like you said, taking that time and really asking God to, okay, where where yeah. have I gone astray? Where where did this happen? And how do I get right with you? And knowing that some friendships may not survive that like mm-hmm. that process. Like you That's may, true. you know, there's going to be some that you know it's going to be fantastic for, and there's going to be some where when everything is stripped away and all that's left is Jesus or all that's left is what's healthy, then there might not be that same, you know, that person may not feel the same about you and they might not be on board with that. And so that's a scary thought for a lot of people. Um, Mm. And, you know, I, I don't want those kind of friendships. I don't want those ones that are, are going to be that there's nothing left um, afterward. I want to start with a good foundation. So, I think that your book does that in a lot of ways in helping people to set a good foundation. And when you realize that there are cracks in the foundation, how how can you go back mm-hmm. and, you know, remedy it afterward? Um, so just kind of changing gears a little bit, What what's something yeah. that um, you're not very good at? <laughs> um, oh, there's a lot of things. Um, <laughs> I know. You all say a ton of things, but... <laughs> You got to just pick I, one. Um, I got to pick one. Or, or um, two. I don't care. <laughs> so I'm not very good at, this is going to sound really weird, maybe random. I'm not very good at taking, um, I take myself too 
seriously sometimes. I don't know if that makes sense. Uh, I can't, I can't, um, like I tell Jimmy a lot, I need you to help me like not take myself so seriously. Like oh, laugh sure at myself. Has no problem with that. <laughs> oh, he doesn't. I love that you know him because he's hilarious and humor is very like uh, he is thinking of jokes all the time. And, like the things that he says, he doesn't say them as much to me because I don't laugh as much anymore. <laughs> but um, <laughs> I've heard all the jokes. Yeah. But I've told him I wish I could be better at humor like you because I think it, what it's done in his life is it's like if he messes up, it's he's like yeah, of course. You know, I'm, he takes himself not super seriously and is able to just, um, in a, in a really good way, in a healthy way, um, and laugh at things and, and be kind of lighthearted and silly. And I, it's something I actually have prayed for and asked God to help me grow in and just go, (laughs) you know, like if, if I have to go speak somewhere and I fumble up my words, what natural me does is like overanalyze, oh my gosh. I sound like an idiot. I need to recover from that. And what Jimmy would do is like make a joke about it and move on. Mm-hmm. So anyway, I'm not, I'm not good at that. And that's yeah. something I'm, please train me in this. And slowly <laughs> I, I'm getting a little better. I make a few jokes every now and then, but <laughs> more than when I met him, but um, I'm still not very good at that. <laughs> that's good. I, one of my greatest, like in college when Jimmy would be around it was always really funny because we were like what is gonna happen next <laughs> like he's exactly. just like unpredictable but um one of the the things that he said that I mean I know you guys as a couple are like God be the center of our marriage and I knew him well before marriage and mm-hmm. you know just watching you guys grow together but um one of the comments that he made was like you know, people are just drawn to him. Like he just is, has this kind of magnetic personality and people would always in college want to be friends with him. And mm-hmm. he made a comment that was like, if I'm just the fun guy to be around just so it, I can make me feel good or something along those lines, then like, what's the point? Like Jesus did this so I could be an evangelist. He gave me this mm-hmm. kind of personality so that I could reach lots of people. And I was like, dude, that was deep. Like, like, you know, that's a lot of self, you know, self-discovery for a freshman in college or sophomore. Right. And so, you know, I, I've loved watching you guys as a couple do your thing and do Mm -hmm. your own things. It's not, Mm -hmm. I mean, you've done stuff together. You did music together, but you also, you know, you've done more of the writing and he's kind of, you know, he's continued on with music and, but yet you come together and you support one another. I think that's a really beautiful thing. And, Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, he's, he is a pretty silly person (laughs) from, (laughs) from all that I've remembered of him. Um, so What's one career you wish you could have? Ooh. You know, this is this is maybe just because I've been watching the Great British Baking Show lately with my family. <laughs> That's been our like show of choice as a family. I I love baking. Yeah. And uh I it's like the hobby that I go to if I have free time and I'm by myself. I'm like, I'm just gonna make some bread from scratch. That sounds so fun to me. The process is fun. And so watching that show, I just keep thinking man, I need to, I want to bake some more and learn mm-hmm. how to make, you know, all these crazy things. So thinking of, you know, there are people out there that that's their job. They own yeah. bakeries and they bake bread and rolls and, you know, pastries and all sorts of stuff and, and sell them. I don't know. That just sounds like that would be so enjoyable. That does that, sound like a, I don't know. a pretty fun job. Like, 
you know, I'm sure it gets stressful at times, <laughs> but if you're just baking some nice bread, like that would be fun. <laughs> Maybe not making that? wedding cakes or something. That seems stressful. Oh no. Yeah. I wouldn't want to do that. But just like <laughs> the people that I see behind the counter, like at Panera Bread, I'm like, you just get to come in early in the morning, bake a bunch of loaves of bread and leave. And wow. That's and everything nice. always smells delicious. So. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. It smell amazing all day. <laughs> that's awesome. Um, so when you die, sorry, this is kind of a dark question, but when you die, <laughs> what do you want to be remembered for? What do you want people to, mm-hmm. when they think of Kelly Needham? Mm. This is going to sound really ironic, but, um, I just read Ecclesiastes, <laughs> which is a lot, a very morbid book. Yeah. Super. That's, a, that's ways, an upbeat one. Super upbeat. Yeah. Um, which a great resource. I just read this book, Living Life Backward, which is just about Ecclesiastes. It was amazing. Great read. If if you're interested or someone else is interested, Living Life Backward by David Gibson. It was really great. Um, part of me would be okay if I'm not remembered. That okay. sounds so weird or lame, but I think, again, I put so much pressure on myself sometimes and that just the news of Ecclesiastes, having read that book this year, was so freeing to go. At the end of the day, maybe people in my own family will remember me for a few generations, but honestly, at the end of the day, that's the point of Ecclesiastes. On this life, we're all forgotten, Mm -hmm. and we all, like, you walk through a cemetery, and you see names, you're like, I don't know who any of these people are. I mean, I can't even, I can't name all the presidents of our country, and, you know, those, (laughs) right, and those men in their life were like, the most important person in the mm. nation, in the world. And we can't even remember their names, you know. There's something really freeing about that for me, honestly. Because um, I, I know that Jesus sees what I, I, I do, and I know that my actions have eternal significance and effect. So it's not that it doesn't matter, but it's actually been really encouraging to go. Man, I do hope people, if they think of me, think Jesus is sufficient. To, he is enough. He is the best thing. Mm. Jesus is better. I, you know, if... If that's what my life preaches, which is there's nothing better than knowing him, I would be so happy. But even if, you know, <laughs> a while it's, you know, I'm forgotten. It's actually, again, it's been really freeing for me. I've been thinking about some speaking events coming up that I've been a little stressed about or overwhelmed about. What if I mess it up? And I've actually thought about putting on a note card on the podium <laughs> with me, writing this out, something like, they will forget you. Or something like, you will be forgotten, and so will they. So help them live for what matters. Something like that. Like, I'm going to be forgotten. So even if I royally mess this up, guess what? You know, in 10 years, no one's probably going to remember. I'm not that big a deal. And no one's going to remember them either. So then what are we doing here? It immediately helps me go, okay, what what matters in life? Um, So I hope people know me for... um, Just the, the message I hope my life constantly preaches is that knowing Jesus is better than anything else. That friendship with him is like the best thing ever. And everything else is like, it's cool, but why would you want that if you can't have him? Mm. He makes everything sweeter. Um, But even if not being remembered, it's like, I know I get to be with him forever. So, you know, it's cool. It's all right. Kelly Kelly who? Uh, What's this? I think about this. This book that's exciting right now, like one day it's going to be in like a clearance rack and half-price book somewhere. And someone's going to be like, what is this book (laughs) about painting? You know, what is this? Uh, There's paint on the cover. But um, anyway, yeah. So maybe, I know that's a weird answer. I've been thinking about it a lot though. No, I think that's, I think that's good. (laughs) And I think that, like you said, it's, it's kind of freeing that like, 
you know, it's all gonna, it's all gonna go away and it's all gonna be forgotten and what, what matters, what's left. Mm -hmm. So do you have any encouragement that you want to leave our listeners with? Mm. I, I think for those that maybe have been listening and thinking that maybe for the first time, maybe something is unhealthy in my friendships. You know, I find this topic when I talk about it with people, they come into the conversation without thinking about it at all. And then sometimes they're kind of hit with, oh, man, I think I'm unhealthy and, or I'm not thinking about this rightly. Mm. And that can feel really scary and overwhelming. That first thought, you know, like you mm. said, it, it's kind of like, what, what does that mean? Then I, my friendships are super important to me. Is, is that mean, you know, there's a lot of fears that come with that. And I just hope the person who might be listening and, and feeling that way right now would know that one, this is like super normal. I mean, as maybe I started writing these things years ago thinking, oh, my friends need these things. But as I've been processing this content, like, oh my gosh, this is a normal human struggle every day. And interviewing people for this book, men and women of like all stages of life, high schoolers all the way up to like 60 year olds, it was like, wow, we all have the exact same insecurities. We might handle them differently, but that you're not alone, you know, just mm. if you're, you're listening and feeling overwhelmed by, man, I have problems with my friendships and I don't know what to do. Guess what? You're welcome to the center club. We're all, <laughs> we are all messy people who have a lot of problems and Jesus is a really big savior and, and he can handle anything. And even if it feels super complicated and you don't know the way out and you don't know what to do or where to go, he can handle it. And he knows already. And Amen. just being near him is going to be all that you need. And he will lead you one step at a time. You don't have to figure out what your next, you know, two weeks will look like or year. Mm. You just need to know that today you need him and he'll show you what to do in that conversation or that person you're thinking about texting or not texting or, you know, speaking up about something or not. He's, he's enough and he'll help you. Um, and to not feel alone in it and not feel overwhelmed by it, that it's very normal and and common. Um, to struggle in these ways. So that, that would be what I would hope people would hear and that God's faithful in it. Yeah. He's, he'll be faithful. Yes. Those who put their trust in him will never be ashamed or disappointed because he's faithful. Yes. What a perfect uh, ending to the faithful podcast. Um, Kelly, tell everybody when your book comes out, where they can go ahead and pre-order it and go ahead and tell us the name one more time. Yeah. The book is called Friendish, Reclaiming Real Friendship in a Culture of Confusion. And it comes out August 27th. So it's right around the corner. And you can pre-order it all the way up to the day before. And there's actually some um, little freebies and bonuses we're giving away to anyone who pre-orders, even if it's the 26th of August. (laughs) Um, And one of the things that you get is a free study guide. We wrote a study guide to go with it to help people apply these things to their varied situations because okay, we're all <laughs> in different situations. Yeah. yeah. So it's, um, I had some friends help me come up with questions who were in different seasons, some who were single and later in life, some who were married, some men, some women to just make sure that we kind of covered all of our bases to mm-hmm. be helpful. So, um, that's something that you'll get if you pre-order as well as some access, access to some videos I made um, with friends of mine talking about just different nuanced ideas about friendship. And um, you'll also get the first chapter and introduction sent to your email. You do have to register your pre-order, though, at friendishbook.com. Can you say and, that one more um, time? Just 
friendishbook.com. Okay. If you uh, once you pre-order, um, you, you need to go there, and it's just a simple form that just proves to our publisher that you actually pre-ordered somewhere, whether it was Barnes and Noble or Christianbook.com or Amazon, and you'll get an email that will give you access to all of those goodies. So. Very cool. Well, I am loving it, and I'm sure all of our listeners will love reading it, too. It's been really challenging, really encouraging, just such a timely thing for um, our culture. And mm-hmm. I just want to thank you so much for coming and talking to me today and to, for everybody that's able to hear this. And um, I just want to let you know it's been a huge blessing to me, as I'm sure it will be to everyone else. Thanks, Stephanie. And thank you for being faithful uh-huh. <laughs> to put out... <laughs> Thanks to people that are, yeah, see that? Faithful, faithful podcast. No, Mm -hmm. Um, helpful things for people sharing hardship and vulnerability, uh, just the testimony of other believers. I think we all need that and that encouragement. So thanks for the hard work you're doing to put this together and encourage people. I know no one sees what you're doing behind the scenes to do that, but it matters. Well, thank you so much. All right. Mm -hmm. Bye, guys. Kelly is so wonderful. Don't you just love her? We could have chatted probably for another three hours. I'm just in awe of how God has opened so many doors to help this book be written in such a busy phase of her life. It would have been easy to let so many things get in the way and to come up with a million excuses, but she stayed faithful to what God called her to, and look what she was able to produce. Praise God. Thanks so much for listening. Please remember to check out my page, faithfulpodcast.podbean.com, or find me on iTunes at Faithful Podcast by Stephanie Baker. Please subscribe so you don't miss an episode, and I would absolutely love it if you left a review. Have a blessed week, friends, and remember to stay faithful.